Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that celebrates Tongue Bite, the breakfast of champions and proof of a great night past. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from Huntersville, North Carolina, live on a Tuesday night. It is officially August. Boy, July went by quick. All right, on tonight's show, we're going back to the uh, the uh, show listeners as co-hosts. And uh, Mike Zika from Chicago will be on with me for uh, Pipe Parts. And uh, then we'll uh, talk to Mike afterwards and get to know him. Uh, Mailbag, music, rant, all that coming up in tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. In fact, in the... uh, uh, in the mailbag, I'll update you a little bit on the FDA because there was uh, a little bit of a shuffling, uh, moving of the uh, regulations and stuff, but you'll have to stay tuned all the way till the mailbag to hear that. Um, <laughs> talk about shuffling. There's been uh, shuffling in the, uh, <laughs> in the White House again. And uh, shuffling going on here in the House as we still get settled in and uh, get comfortable. Uh, however, my uh, my smoking room slash office slash uh, broadcast studios and uh, TV room has one heck of an exhaust fan installed. I mean, I can move some air in here. Hardly anybody in the other part of the house notice can notice that I'm up here smoking. Uh, put the exhaust fan in the wall and exhaust straight outside, and uh, you know it just does a really good job of. Uh, Sucking all the air out of here and cleaning up the uh, cleaning up the residue of the smoke so it doesn't go into the rest of the house. So if you're uh, thinking about uh, putting in a smoking room, you may want to consider a uh, ventilated uh, exhaust fan. Get something that uh, get something that'll move some serious air. Don't just get a cheap little bathroom one. All right, enough rambling. Let's get the show rolling. Everybody, sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show celebrating our summer series of listeners as guests or show guest listener featured specials, whatever we have. And we have with us uh, Mike Zika. And Mike, you wanted to talk about uh, ways you break in your pipe or different ways to break in pipes. So Pipe Parts is all yours and take it away. Sure. Thanks, Brian. Well, I tend to follow a a fairly simple uh, formula or simple process for breaking in a new pipe. And what I do is I, number one, I I need to have the the right tobacco to do it. So I don't want to use a tobacco that's very hard to work with or temperamental tobacco. So I want something very, uh, you know, one of my regular tobaccos that I like, but also one that's Forgiving, I guess, would be a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. So maybe Orlick Golden Sliced would be an example. Uh, maybe McFerrin Golden Extra would be another example. Into the English realm, I would say Dunhill Standard Mixture Medium. I think those three are good examples of fairly easy tobaccos to work with. Um, you know, compared to a very temperamental flake or 
disc, okay? And then I want to make sure that I have the tobacco prepared properly and uh, for sure I don't want it too moist and I don't want it, I want to have it broken up the proper way. So I got to have the tobacco fairly perfect. Uh, and then I want to be in the right mood to do the, to do the break in. So I don't want to be rushed. I don't want to be working on something and, and doing the pipe smoking as an afterthought. I want to be focused on the break in process. Now, so when, have, when you talk about the right mood, how long is a pipe sat in your house waiting for you to break it in? I mean, what's what's the longest it's waited? Oh, I would say um, two or three days after I get it, I've probably okay. done my first smoke in it. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. And uh, and what I like to do is I want to be in the right mood. So the right mood means that I'm calm and I'm going to be focused on smoking as opposed to other things. Because what I, what I really want to do is keep my pace and my smoking technique slow, and I keep my technique uh, proper, so I don't want to overheat the pipe. And uh, so with that said, so now we've got two of the, equa- two of the uh, equation parts going. We have the proper tobacco, and we have the proper mood and time. And then what I'll do is I will smoke half bowls first three bowls will be half bowls and then the next three will be three quarter bowls and then so by my seventh bowl i'm doing a full uh a full bowl so you're trying to build that cake on the bottom half of the bowl first and then kind of work it up or at least at least get that bottom half broken in a little in advance of the top half yeah and i'm not doing any special treatment to the inside of the bowl and we can talk a little bit about that after I go through my process. But I just use regular tobacco, pack it. Um, you know, when you pack a half and, you, and you're doing, if you do like the three-fill gravity method of packing, that's yeah. not going to work with a half bowl. So I'll put in, oh, I don't know, maybe a half bowl loose and then press it down. And then maybe put in another, fill up three-quarters with gravity and then push it down to a half. So it's two fills. So you're kind of making, you know, you're, I'm going to modify with the, kind of the basic gravity film method. I'm not going to do maybe folding stuff or any of those other types of methods on a break-in. And then what I want to do is, uh, again, smoke slow and take my time. And that's one of the things that I do no matter what I'm doing when I smoke is I try really hard to be in the right mood and to focus on smoking and smoking only and not on trying to do other things and smoke at the same time. Me, like maybe everybody else that does that, maybe tends to get a little fat, too fast of a cadence when you're smoking and trying to do other things. So when I'm smoking, I just try to focus on smoking, and I find that it greatly improves the experience for me Um, and uh, with the types of tobacco I smoke as well, being a vapor kind of a guy. Now, in between each bowl, are uh, so you so you've done. Let's say you've done the first half, uh, the first half smoke. Are you doing any cleaning to the pipe or anything in between each of those first half bowls? Yeah, what I do, you know, I'll I'll, I'll do my normal cleaning like I do, and I, and again, I don't take the pipe necessarily apart um, after cleaning, but I do run a pipe th- a pipe cleaner, you know, through it. Um, and so forth. But what I what I 
what I do now and which I, you know, maybe didn't do in the past, but what I've come to realize is I like to use a um, doubled over pipe cleaner and clean the inside of the bowl and, and get the get the ash out of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I just tend to prefer a thinner, more a thinner, harder cake and a slower build of a cake rather than a quicker forming cake that gets uh, maybe that's thicker, maybe a little softer, that breaks off a little easier. So I'd rather have a thinner, harder, slower cake. And I find that by using the double over pipe cleaner and just getting the extra ash out of it, and then uh, before my next smoke, I find that that works better for me. Do you do you find that the Virginia, I mean, the, the tobaccos you mentioned were basically very simple Virginias with a little bit of a little bit of a sweetness in them but do you find that there that that helps you build that thinner harder cake as opposed to a more aromatic or even a uh, even a more aggressive perique blend oh i have yeah i think so in that the i think the sugar content of the tobacco probably helps the natural sugar content and then plus since you need to go slow with those as well with the cadence i think the slow cadence actually helps me more than anything else um Hopefully that answers the uh, the question. But again, I like to try to keep it simple with the tobacco at first, uh, and uh, before I start getting into the more sensitive type uh, flakes, which I tend to actually be my preferred flakes. But they're you know they can be a little temperamental and maybe not so good to break in the pipe because uh, they're just a little bit too tricky at times. And how many full bowls of the uh, of the break in tobacco will you smoke in it? I would say once I hit 10, I am good to go. Okay. And uh, I've read, uh, I know Rich Esserman, and, and either in the Pipe Smokers Ephemeris or possibly in something that he had talked about in one of his interviews, had said that 10 was his magic number. And then I know that others have much higher numbers. And uh, But I think 10 is a good number to say, hey, it's, pretty, it's broken in pretty well. And then once I get to closer to 20, you know, then it starts really, you know, being pretty much there. And then I just think the more you smoke it, the better they get for the most part with a, with a quality pipe. How do you know exactly when it's ready for your, uh, for your more uh, feisty blends or the more, uh, the more uh, sensitive blends? Uh, it tends not to go out as much. Um, tends to not be hot. Um, hotter than I would think, given the cadence that I'm smoking at. Um, and the, the flavor, you know, the flavor of the t- tobacco then also is complemented by those two factors, I believe, the, the, uh, the cadence and the, uh, and the not getting hot. So then it's kind of like an uh, overall taste feel. That you say, oh, I think this one is ready to go now. We're pretty much broken in. Do you do anything different with a uncoated bowl versus one that has a bowl coating? Uh, I do not. Um, I just want to say in the past, and again, one of the interesting things, let's go back to one of the other methods now. Yeah. And again, back when I first started, information was very hard to come by. And that was in 1981. Very hard to come by. So you might get a little pamphlet from the tinderbox when you bought a pipe. Or you might get a, it was basically a one one or two page kind of a helpful tips on breaking in a pipe. 
And, you know, they said take some honey and rub it on the inside of the bowl or mix some honey and water solution and rub it on yeah. the inside of the bowl. And, uh, and then, you know, methods like that, um, and I know some people really do use those, and I know that I've, I used those in the past. And uh, I'd be curious, Brian, what, what your thoughts are, and if you do, or what your process for breaking in a pipe is maybe compared to mine. I'm always willing to learn. Oh, I've, I've talked about it before. I'm dramatically different than you are. I am viciously aggressive with the pipe on the first two or three bowls. I mean, I, I load it all the way to the top. I smoke it for as hot as, get it, fire it up, get it as hot as I can for five minutes, smoke it as hard as I can, then set it down and let it go out and let it cool down, then tamp it, and then come back to it for five minutes and fire it up again and... I do that for about two bowls, and if the pipe isn't broken in, then it's broken. <laughs> mm-hmm. So are you, are you testing out to see if there's a, a hot spot or a defect in the briar? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm just trying to get it as hot as possible. And then the, uh, the only difference that I won't do in, in between full bowls is when I dump out the ash, I won't wipe the inside of the bowl clean with the pipe cleaner like you do. Because I leave, I leave a little bit of the fly ash in there, or okay. the, you know, a little bit of remnants. But I do dig out all the dottle all the way, and I'll do that two or three times. And I do it with my um, favorite tobacco, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, but if it doesn't work for me after the two bowls, you know, if there's a defect in the pipe, which I've only run into twice in my life, uh, it, it'll show up then. Or I'll also figure out that if I don't like the pipe, if for some reason I just don't like the pipe after two or three bowls like that, I'll give it a couple more bowls and then I'll trade it off or sell it, and then it's only been smoked three or four times. And what do you, what are and then your what are the what factors are, are come into play to say, geez, I really don't like this pipe? What would be the factor that you would pick up on? Um, for me at that point, I know whether or not the pipe is going to taste right with the tobacco. Um, I may, I may switch it to a different tobacco or it may just be, it's a comfort thing or a style thing. Um, I'm getting a lot faster at identifying pipes that are just not going to make it to the top of my, you know, to the top of the rotation or just aren't going to get pulled off the shelf that often. And if I don't smoke a pipe during a year, it better have Mickey Mouse stamped on it somewhere, because otherwise, otherwise it's just going. It, it's going to get it's going to get lonely sitting there and get dusty, and I don't need it. Do you find Brian with with the if you find a pipe that smokes hot, uh, do you find that it, that they have you had experiences where they ever uh, become less hot over time due to break-in process? Yeah, I've. And I've actually experienced it with a couple of pipes that have become my favorites, and it's because they were measured, or when they were made, the bowl walls were just very thin. So I, so I, I quickly learned that you know what, it's a, it, it's either a very thin bowl wall, so there's not a lot of wood there, so they get hot on the exterior, or I need to take a little bit more time and break that in. Um, and that may that may take you know uh, instead of doing it real hot for five minutes, it may take 
it heat it'll get real hot in two minutes and then i've got to set it down and i may have to go through it about five or six bowls that way before i get that cake going and then i can stick it in my mouth and puff away with it and not have to worry about it overheating and burning out but yeah you 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 put some cake on a pipe that's smoking hot for you when you first get it it'll cool down after after it's got a little bit of cake going Uh, And I have heard of the honey thing. I've tried that. Uh, I've heard of people that have bowl-coated or smoked their first bowl with a super sweet aromatic just to get it goopy and get it coated and then gone and switched to their normal tobaccos. Uh, And to me, it sounds like your method is more similar to what uh, Greg Pease does where he does the bottom half of the bowl first and then tries to work his way up and gets a good even cake going and then switches it over to uh, his more favorite tobaccos. Yeah, I just find it to be a very interesting uh, topic, and it shows that there's a lot of different ways to do things, much like the entire uh, you know pipe-smoking hobby. Lots of ways to do it, and uh, everybody seems to have their preferences. And... Uh, and that was one of the factors when I first started. Again, there wasn't hardly any information out there, uh, except for maybe talking to somebody who you knew who actually smoked a pipe, or maybe in the tinderbox, or one of the brick and mortars. Uh, you could talk to somebody that could give you a little tip here and there, but it was really a difficult process to learn. Nowadays, it's a lot easier on the internet. That is a a perfect place for us to end pipe parts and take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to Mike and learn all about him. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. At Cornell & Deal, we think the best things in life are better with age, and we are passionate about creating the best possible pipe tobacco available. Fueled by this passion, we introduced the Cellar Series, a collection of blends like no other. While the blends in this series are ready to smoke now, each one has been meticulously designed to optimize depth and complexity as the tobacco ages in the tin. Currently, the Cellar Series is comprised of Oak Alley, Chenet's Cake, Joie de Vivre, Old Grove, and Bourbon Blue, but we will be unveiling new additions to this very special series as time goes on. Pick up a tin to smoke now and save a few for later enjoyment so that you can experience all the richness and subtlety each blend will reveal through the years. Cornell and Deal's Cellar Series. The secret ingredient is time. Contact your local or online retailer for information. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and, uh, you know, listener Mike Zika, who uh, we, I mean, just a couple months ago, we were you were you were uh, torturing me in uh, in Chicago, and we'll talk about that later on. But uh, Mike, welcome to the uh, welcome officially to the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Well, thanks, Brian. It's a pleasure to uh, pleasure to be on the radio show. So you you started smoking a pipe in 1981. So you're not exactly one of these new hipster kids with uh, with a beard and a flannel shirt. No, no. Uh, I started in, in 81. I had, I went to the University of Illinois at Chicago, and I, I had my second statistics class, and <laughs> I liked it. I was one of the few people that actually liked statistics, and uh, 
my professor smoked a pipe in class. His name was Dr. Brian Gloss, and he uh, smoked a pipe in class as we were talking about T-tests and F-tests and all that kinds of things, and uh, little did I know that I'd be doing that as my career later on. I am a market researcher and specialize in statistical uh, analysis. Um, I also had a class in my senior year of, at the University of Illinois in social psychology, and my professor, a really good professor, Dan Amick, he also smoked a pipe drink class. And I thought, wow. you know what, I really like those two classes. They were two of my favorite professors, two of my favorite classes, and I uh, said, I think I'm going to start doing that. So I started my senior year. It was probably right around Christmas of my senior year. And uh, went to Walgreens and bought a uh, Dr. Grabo pipe and some Scandinavic tobacco and uh, gave it a shot and realized that I was going to need a little bit of help. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we had a tinderbox uh, at a mall close by where I lived. And I ventured in the tinderbox, and uh, and that's where I got my first uh, my first help by, uh, by a very good uh, a very good clerk named Al at the tinderbox, and he taught me uh, ah you know maybe you want to try some different tobacco, and I'll teach you how to buy a pipe, and we'll teach you how to teach you how to pack it and clean it and take care of it, and, and I, so that was my 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 learning process. When you were when you were starting in eighty one, I mean, obviously they were allowed to smoke in a classroom. Uh, you could walk into the mall with your pipe lit and puff all the way to the tinderbox, and nobody looked at you any differently. No, I just remember in the tinderbox, the pipes were always lit, and uh, cigars were always lit in there, and uh, you know nobody thought anything of it. I also grew up in a bowling alley, working in a bowling alley. And uh, everybody smoked in there, so I grew up in a very smoke-filled environment. <laughs> but uh, so the cigarettes never excited you, or or cigars? You just fell in love with the pipe right away. Yeah, I never smoked cigarettes or cigars, although everybody around me did. And uh, my first uh, experience with tobacco, I think it would be funny, was I was in fifth grade, and we spent most of our time playing sports outside, as most kids did back then, and I drove my bike over to the local store and I bought some Copenhagen uh, snuff and uh, I was going to chew tobacco like the pro baseball players as I was playing while on the street. So I loaded up my uh, my mouth with some Copenhagen and didn't really know you're supposed to spit it out and start you know, swallowing it and all of a sudden oh, no. things start spinning around on me. Oh, no. And uh, I spent probably the next seven hours laying down flat flat face down on my living room carpet and uh my dad said what were you doing and he says oh yeah okay there you go well it's a good lesson you you just learned so that was my first experience with tobacco so um, so let, let's go back to the fun stuff after that dr graybo what was your, do you remember what your second pipe was it was a, a berry b-a-r-i okay um made yeah. in denmark and that's it was you know it's kind of a factory made pipe and i it probably cost $20 or so, I'm thinking, 20 or $30. And it was a nice little uh, maybe group two or three-sized uh, pot shape. Um, and it, it it was nice thick walls and a nice drilling in it. And and then I knew the difference between, uh, you know, something that was 
very functional and something that was was not. Uh, that was an excellent pipe, and I still have that one. <laughs> now I, I'm assuming, being in Chicago, you might have uh, ventured out into some of the other pipe and tobacco shops around there besides that tinderbox. Yeah, I spent many. Uh, I spent most of my career working in downtown Chicago, um, so uh, you know, spending a lot of time at E1 Reese uh, during lunch, walking on over there and you know, picking up a few tins of whatever and looking at their wide selection. So that's, I was fortunate to be in that, you know, have, have access to E1 Reese. When you first tried an English blend, was it, uh, was it love at first taste or did you have to acquire it? Well, that's a great question because the very first, um, two, tobaccos that I tried, and this was not from the tinderbox, but there was another tobacco store I went into first, and I was given two tobaccos to try. One was a peach aromatic, and one was called light Latakia. And I tried the peach aromatic, and I was like, well, okay, you know, but fairly boring. And then I put the light, the light Latakia in and smoked that, and it was like, wow, this is good. And I had a very similar experience as I did the, my young fifth grade experience with Copenhagen. I must have gone too fast and liked it too much. And before I knew it, I was, I had a little spin action going, (laughs) but, uh, I, I knew that it was, I knew that was going to be a good, uh, flavor, just that I needed to learn how to do it and not maybe go so fast. Um, and let's go forward because you're a Virginia Perique fan like I am. When when did you first try a true Virginia Perique? Because there wasn't a lot of them on the market in the 80s. Yeah, I was very fortunate to um, always be, you know, as far as being a hobbyist, I'm much more of a hobbyist than I am a smoker. So I guess you would say a hobbyist is someone who follows, who studies up on, the, in, on pipes and learns as much about it as possible and maybe doesn't smoke as much if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe one or two bowls a day, uh, but more interested in the culture about pipes, the learning about pipes. So I became a member of the Pipe Smokers Ephemeris, uh, and that was a wonderful learning uh, a learning vehicle. And I can describe what that is, uh, if anybody... Uh, yeah, tell us about the tell us about what the ephemeris was like back in the eighties, because I, I think some of us have seen the last few that have been around. But I mean, back in the eighties, it was one of the few printed, published things for pipe smokers. Yeah, well, since there was no information and there was no internet at the time, um, I there was nowhere to get really good information unless you talk to somebody word of mouth. And I happened not to really know anybody other than a few people in the brick and mortars. So the, the pipe smokers ephemeris was a, was a publication that you would get sent to you in the mail and it would come on an irregular basis, but you know, maybe twice a year you would get it and it would, it would be literally, um, pipe collectors, um, People that knew a lot about tobacco, uh, many of the guests that have been on the radio show were contributors to the Pipe Smokers Ephemeris. Um, you know, for example, Rich Esserman, um, Fred Hanna, um, uh, those are two that I can immediately pop in, in, into my mind. But what they would do is write maybe, 
you know, half a page just about their past six months, you know, what kind of pipes they were buying, what kind of tobacco they were smoking, you know, things that they were learning in the, in the, in the pipe repair uh, issues. Um, you know, they, they talk about breaking in pipes. And it was, the nice thing about it was is that it was, it was put together in a way that it was sort of edited that, there wouldn't be bad information necessarily in that publication because Tom Dunn, who put it together, you know, he, he put it together and uh, I guess it would be edited by him. So then, therefore, the information was very good. So you would get these debates back and forth uh, <laughs> between different pipe collectors and so forth on a variety of topics. And so I guess it served as kind of an Internet message, Internet forum, I guess, but yeah. prior to the Internet with some editing to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it was, the, uh, it was the 1980s version of a message board, and it just got refreshed every six months. Yeah, but it was great information. I still refer to them. Uh, I still read them, and I, every time I read them, I learn more and more. So I just wanted to say what a great influence Tom Dunn uh, had on the hobby. Yeah. But what, was, what were some of your first Virginia Periques? Uh. Uh, I would say Copes Escudo was my first, and um, and and then Capstan uh, in the in the blue ten. Those two were my first two I tried, and um, through the pipe smokers ephemeris, I learned of a gentleman named Barry Levin, uh, another great individual in the industry back in the back in the day, yeah. and he was working with McLellan Tobacco on a personal reserve series of Virginias, and he also had Oriental uh, tobaccos as well. Many of them are still being made by, Mc, by McClellan's. And I happened to uh, get in touch with Barry Levin and talk to him quite a bit. Um, and um, those were the other tobaccos that I would that I went to then as far as Virginias. So Blackwood's Flake, which is still on the market, St. James Woods, still on the market that's the virginia parique um and uh and so i was a mcclellan uh flake uh flake guy i guess you would say did you ever get the head spins from a parique blend or or had you learned to slow down by then uh i learned to slow down by then but i learned also that i just found them very finicky and tricky to work with so i learned that with a flake um, you have you have many ways to possibly prepare that flake, and uh, it was an, it was it's almost a very complex process. So if you're taking a flake out of the tin, you can fold and stuff it. You can break it apart a little. You can you know break it apart quite a bit using a, a coffee grinder or a food processor. Um, the moisture content, which I think is probably the most important factor in preparing a vapor or any tobacco, but particular vapors or, or Virginia flakes, the moisture content, getting that right. Um, and again, with those types of things, back in the day, there just wasn't that much information out there, so you had to kind of learn it on your own. <laughs> so many a time I smoked too moist uh, Virginia uh, flake and... Uh, didn't have all that great of an experience with it and didn't really know what I was doing wrong. I just thought, wow, 
this isn't really that good. And uh, and then you just hit on it by trial and error and find out that, well, this one's been sitting around for a while. You, you, you smoke it, and it's perfect experience. Well, what's the difference? Well, it's drier. <laughs> it has a chance to dry out a little bit, and it's a much different experience. So that was one of the... Uh, one of the disadvantages of not having enough information is, is that it really did take a while to figure out how to do <clears throat> certain things and uh, get things to work right. I had been in the business about four years before somebody said, yeah, take those flakes, rub them out all the way, let it dry down a little bit until it's uh, until it's just kind of a little crunchy and you'll smoke it and it'll be absolutely wonderful. I was like, I tried it and they were right. <laughs> Four years of being in the business, and it took somebody finally to tell me that. Yeah, yeah. Very, very tricky stuff. Uh, when I was at the pipe show this year in Chicago, I talked to Mike McNeil and, uh, you know, talking about the different methods of tobacco preparation. And, uh, you know, he wasn't, certainly wasn't opposed to, uh, you know, breaking it up pretty, pretty well before you smoke it. He wasn't a huge advocate of the fold and stuff method. Uh, Although I, I use all methods, you know, it depends kind of on my mood and <clears throat> what pipe I'm smoking it in. It's, it almost feels like it's something you say, well, I'm going to try to smoke this pipe tonight and this tobacco. And it just feels right uh, at some point to just do a fold and stuff. Then other days, the next day, it might be that you want to have it all broken up and try it. And they smoke so much differently and taste so much differently based on how you prepare that tobacco. That's a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more uh, pipes, uh, pipe tobacco, and uh, maybe we'll dig into some numbers with Mike. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history... Educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes. I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at smokingpipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with Mike Zika. And uh, Mike, you said that you're that you're more of a uh, of a hobbyist pipe smoker, and that you smoke maybe one or two bowls a day. Is that still true? Yes, and I've always been like that. Uh, you know, mainly due to the you know the jobs I've had. I've always been uh, you know out, never been able to really smoke on the job and things like that. So it just just fits into my lifestyle. Is it normally the end of the day when you look forward to your pipe? Yeah, end of day, um, and um, you know, end of day, you know, maybe like nine or ten at night, and when everything else is done, and, and that's when I would 
go for it, yeah. Did you develop a specific type of pipe that you liked early on, a shape, a style, a brand? Yes, definitely. I was a huge uh, fan of Ashton uh, Sovereign uh, billiards, uh, the 2X size and the 3X size. And I never had a lot of pipes, maybe 15 of those, but that was it. And then I had a few other scattered pipes that I had from my early days. But I I always was uh, kind of a smooth, natural grain, smaller size, uh, traditional shape type of a smoker. And um, right now I I gravitate to the factory-made Peterson uh, System Deluxe uh, pipes. Again, I really like the traditional shapes, uh, the sturdiness of those. I like the natural uh, grain or the natural finish and uh, the smaller size uh, models of the System Deluxe, the the 3S, the 8S, and the... uh, 12 and a half ass. Those are my three favorite uh, st- styles within that line. Do you prefer them with a P-lip or a fishtail? I like the P-lip, and I couldn't tell you exactly why, but it fits into the way I smoke, I guess. Uh, what do you do with pipes that you just don't like anymore? Uh, I, uh, to smokingpipes.com, I will send them in uh, to smokingpipes.com, and then I will get credit for it, and then add to what I what I currently favor. <laughs> so, and, like, uh, like I said, get them out the door and uh, make room for something new. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not a huge like I don't have a huge number of pipes, but it's going to be somewhere in the twenty to thirty range. But they're all going to be very close to what I like, and they're they're not going to. It's not a collection, a very diverse collection be a very kind of a narrow focus collection on what I like and uh, you know that's just the way I see the hobby I know others are totally different they want to have maybe one of every artisan craftsman in the US maybe a pen bulldog or Rhodesian of, of every American uh, artisan and then you know of course you have the Danish hobbyists where they want the uh, where they want the Danish pipes and so forth uh, but for me, it just that's the way I think about it. So I think it's very individualistic, and no way is better than the other. It's just whatever fits into your mindset. If you like it and you enjoy it, it's perfect for you. Yeah, that's the way I think about it. The same with tobacco as well. There's Just because somebody else likes something or it happens to be number one or two or three on SmokingPipes.com website, that does not mean that it's number one, two, or three <laughs> For you, you may like a tobacco that's maybe number 238 on the smokingpipes.com list, but it just so happens to fit into your uh, taste profile, and it just so happens to fit into your smoking style. I just think the mechanics of a blend are so important, and it may just have to do with the cadence of your puffing. Maybe if you're a faster smoker, you're going to gravitate towards certain blends that are going to work better for your speed. And if you're a slower puffer, uh, then you're going to have other, there may be a totally different blends that work better for you and that wouldn't work for somebody who's faster and vice versa. So I just think the mechanics of a blend, the cut, and then the uh, the way you prepare it, are those are probably the most important things as far as I'm concerned. I can take a blend that's really 
good. Like I can take, for me, Copes Escudo, and if I don't prepare it right, it can be a bad experience. But if I give it the detail it needs, I can increase my chances of it having being a good experience. Is it 100%? Absolutely not. Um, sometimes you think you got all the variables lined up right, and it just doesn't work that day for whatever reason. But uh, I just try to increase my percentage of those good smokes. Uh, and you do a cleaning of your pipes in between, so with you know fifteen or twenty pipes, it's uh, it's at least a week or two before they get picked up again. Yeah, I, I usually yeah I keep track. I'm since I'm a, a researcher, I tend to be pretty organized in my thinking, so I kind of keep track of when I smoked each one and kind of rotate through them on a s- systematic basis. So yeah, they get a they get a good rest uh, between smokes. Um, I don't necessarily think that that's that important but for me that's just the way i do it but i think if i smoke them more frequently it wouldn't necessarily hurt but uh you know i don't smoke the same uh you know pipe every day or multiple times in a day i, I was gonna say that a, a a guy that enjoys uh, statistics is probably not somebody who's uh into the abstract big picture and Probably likes to keep pretty detailed notes, and uh, I bet I bet Excel is your favorite program. Well, for, yeah, I, I use Excel quite a bit. I sure <laughs> do. <laughs> uh, have you gotten detailed on uh, pipe tobacco and the you know how much you how much you like to age certain blends or keep notes on how that blend worked with each pipe? Yes, absolutely, um, <laughs> and I like to. Um, I definitely um, think that it's important to have um, maybe a couple of years of age on a tin, uh, regardless of whatever the type is, unless it happens to be maybe a, maybe like a McBaron Golden Extra. I think you'd get away with a, with a fresher tin of that or maybe Orlick Golden Slice. But just about everything else, I want to have at least a couple of years of age on it, uh, you know, maybe two to three years on it. And then what I like to do is I like to, uh, I'm a big fan of the uh, glass canning jars. So what I'll do is I will take uh, take it out of the tin and just let it sit in the glass canning jar. It just seems to be that process of just, uh, you know, not being so tightly packed, but just kind of loose in the, in the, in the jar. And then with some air circulation in there, just kind of tones it down a little bit and makes it uh, easier to smoke. Maybe it has to do with drying out a little bit in the in the glass jar. I'm not sure, but I just find that that glass jar helps. It doesn't have to be in there that long, but you know, let it sit in there for a couple of weeks, and uh, that seems to like exp- let it open up a little bit and breathe. And then it just seems to be really, really a good process. Do you find after you move it into the glass jar that the tobacco gets a little darker? Uh. I think over time, not within a couple, not within a couple of weeks, but I think over a couple of months it does. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. If it's, it, it's a fresh burst of oxygen to it, and it starts working the uh, aging a little quicker. Yeah, but if you if you say say if I if I ordered a, a, a tin of something and I a brand new tobacco that I never tried before and I opened it, oh, like I was all excited, got it in the mail, opened it up, put it in the you know, let it dry out a little bit, even maybe a half hour, packed it, and then smoked it. 
And then that same blend, if I let it sit in the jar for a couple of weeks and then did the same thing, it's going to be a lot better even after a couple of weeks. So I don't want to make my initial judgment right out of the tin. Yep. Uh, now, with you being in the Chicago area, how many years have you been going to the Chicago Pipe Show? This is my very first year, um, <laughs> which I, and I'm not sure exactly why, uh, but this is my very first year of going to the show. It found it to be an amazing experience and uh, one that I hope to continue to go to for uh, the future. In fact, I, I saw you with your uh, with your wife there, and then you proceeded to try to work me over to find out what. Well, what I wanted to do is use the art of deduction, since I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan, <laughs> and try to uh, figure out what your tobacco uh, was. But I knew you would never tell me, but I thought I would at least show you how the art of deduction could be used and I, so I came up with a list, and I said it's going to be one of these six. And then I had written down notes next to each one why, why I thought this one probably wasn't the one that was yours. And I was left with one. And uh, I didn't expect uh, you to answer which was your preferred tobacco, but I, but that was, I just thought it would be kind of a funny thing to do. And uh, I wasn't expecting an answer, but you said I was pretty close. You were close, but it wasn't on that list. So there oh. you go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll leave you hanging with that, and we will wrap this up with the Fast Five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Yes. What is your favorite pipe? Uh, a Peterson System Deluxe 12.5S. And what is your favorite tobacco? Oh, it's going to be in the Cleland. It's going to be either Beacon or Bayou Slice um, or St. James Woods. So you got a uh, you got a mild, a medium, and a full-bodied in there. Yeah, they're all going to be uh, vapors, and yeah. that's one thing I like to do. Is I don't have a favorite, but what I do is like to go within a kind of a. a a set range and then experience the different nuances of each one. And, uh, however, whatever the day feels like, then I would grab for one of those. And I'll also go to a Scudo Elizabethan. Uh, um, I also like Davidoff flake medallions and, uh, or the golden sliced. So those would be kind of the seven that are in my set that I smoke regularly. And what is your favorite drink? Uh, hot green tea um, and uh, black coffee. Those two for sure. Sounds good to me. Uh, <laughs> when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Uh, I would say it would be actually talk radio. I love talk radio, whether it's sports talk radio, pol political talk radio, uh, or uh, pipe, pipe radio. <laughs> I like Country Squire uh, radio and... Uh, Obviously, the the Pipes Magazine radio. And the last question is, do you have a particularly favorite pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about? Well, I would say that it really just goes back to my college days. I had I had those two uh, professors, and I just think about those two classes. And uh, if any, anybody who knows about marketing research knows, knows that it's uh, statistics and behavioral sciences and social yeah. psychology is a, 
is a very big part of it. So those two classes, and then it just so happened that I ended up using those two in my career, and uh, and uh, just thinking back to those classes and then how I how those professors uh, how they smoked in class, and I just thought it was a cool thing, and I thought I'd give it a shot. I would definitely have to say those two professors. Mike, uh, thank you for listening to the show. Thanks for coming on and hanging out with us. And uh, uh, statistically speaking, I think this will be your uh, favorite episode. Well, thanks, Brian. Very much appreciate it. And we'll be back in just a minute. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. This is Internet Radio. We are back, and I want to thank Mike for uh, joining us and uh, look forward to seeing him next year. All right, for music, uh, last week we had John Wolf on, and John suggested a song to me afterwards from uh, Old Crow Medicine Show, and uh, it's called We Don't Grow Tobacco No More. So a little, uh, little folk song and a little uh, historical telling of what's happening in the old tobacco belt. with 
say that I've lived to see this day. And we don't grow to back around here no more. We don't grow. We don't grow. Oh, it's still the only work we'll ever know. Well, we don't grow. Is uh, the old crow medicine show, and it's almost a uh, it's almost a how to book on how to grow tobacco. But uh, anyway, you can check them out on Spotify. Sweet, merciful crap! In the mailbag, and remember, got any comments or questions? Email me Brian at pipesmagazine.com or post them on the episode page on the Pipes Magazine radio shows page on pipesmagazine.com. Did you get all that? I think I did. Uh, Casey Ghost writes, uh, Mike McNeil was nearly as negative as a guy could be about the IPCPR. I uh, can't imagine Mike being any more negative. Uh, to listen to him, the show was a ghost town. A uh, nice interview with a guy who is trying to learn how to carve pipes. He sounds like he has a long way to go. Um, yeah, the, the trade show was uh, not as heavily attended as some have been in the past. And uh, I think John's got a way to go, but I think he's on the right track. So I'm looking forward to having him back in a year. Uh, Dino says, uh, what a totally fascinating and fun conversation with John. He seems so grounded and focused. I think he would have been a terrific spiritual leader. Doesn't mean he couldn't have made pipes too. (laughs) I look forward to his success as a pipe maker. Yes, revisiting John in a year would be very interesting. Good. Uh, Dino says, amazingly, my pup walked into the room just as Big Mama began her song. I picked her up and held her. A very nice moment. And I know how Kevin and Lori feel. Please extend my deepest condolences, Dino. And New Broom writes, a nice program, easy to listen to, interesting. My favorite part, Brian, in response to the enthusiasm John expresses about his interview on the radio. Well, you set the bar pretty low, John giggles. Keep on puffing, Mike. Yeah, uh, and then last we have uh, Ozzy Flyer down under who says I think John is a what you see is what you get kind of guy I'd be interested to hear him in a year or so too he sounds like a very grounded young man and I wish him all the well another great show Brian glad you enjoyed it alright now for the uh, for the FDA uh, the FDA announced a uh, delay in uh, registration or a delay in uh, applications for existing brands on the market so anything that was on the market as of august 2016 can stay on the market until at least 2021 or 22 
it didn't change anything else. It didn't change the reporting requirements of ingredients, the reporting requirements of brand names. It didn't, it didn't do any of the changes to that. And it didn't also say anything about the uh, harmful, uh, about the testing that's required. It didn't say anything about that. So it's a little bit of a breather, but not completely. Uh, it does mean that the product between 2007 and 2016 can stay on the market, so that's nice. I just kind of wonder myself, maybe deep down inside, is the FDA also going to uh, loosen up those restrictions? Is this just the first step in them saying, hey, you know, all right, we're going to change this? Is that the first step? And then remember, we still have the lawsuit coming up the end of August, early September. So it could just be the first step. But right now, it's a tiny step. It's a good step, and we'll take it. But it's not the full saving grace of ingredients and testing and all that stuff. All right. Rant time in a moment. Cowboy. Cowboy. collector and I have a lot of stuff. The reason I mention this is because we just moved. I'm a collector and I have a lot of stuff. There's a difference between what fits into the collection and then what is a lot of stuff. Stuff is stuff that doesn't fit into the collection. When you are moving, it is a perfect time to look at all the stuff you have and think, do I really need this stuff? And I say stuff, not something that fits into my collection, not something that I admire, appreciate. It's just, it becomes stuff and you have to figure out what to do with it. Well, if you keep all the stuff in your life from the, uh, from your travels, especially those of us who are coming up on, uh, you know, half a century around the planet here, uh, you run out of room for anything, life, whatever. It just becomes a lot of stuff. Anytime you are getting ready to move, it's a perfect time to look at the stuff and say, all right, have I used you in a year? If I haven't used you in a year, you have got to go away stuff. Get rid of the stuff. Clear it out. It'll make your life a whole lot less cluttered. It'll make the stuff that you have more enjoyable. The the things that you do use will be much more enjoyable, more accessible, and you won't have all that chaos. Now, if it fits into your collection and you're actively collecting it, keep it. If it fits into uh, something that you use on a yearly basis, maybe specific holiday decorations or something like that, keep it. But if it's just stuff that you're just holding on to, boy, I'll tell you, get rid of it or find some way to pack it real tight. It'll save you a ton of space and uh, clear up uh, room for new things in your collection. (laughs) All right, there you go. Uh, If you got any stuff that's good and you want to send it to me, feel free. Uh, You can uh, get my address from uh, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. All right, um, 
couple of things, uh, rating and review on iTunes would be wonderful, and it does help the show get uh, discovered more. So if you haven't done that, please stop by iTunes. It takes you about two or three minutes to uh, leave a rating and a review for us. We would appreciate that. And again, questions and comments, post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page. I look forward to them all. And, uh, oh, that reminds me, let's set a date for another Facebook Live event. And I'm going to pull up the calendar while we're doing this. Let's set up a time for another Facebook Live event. And today is Tuesday, August 1st. Let's set the next Facebook Live event for Wednesday night, August 9th. And you know what? We'll just do 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Wednesday night, August 9th, 8 p.m. Eastern time on Facebook. Follow me there while you're on Facebook. Follow the Pipes Magazine radio show. And, uh, hey, leave us a, a nice comment there on Facebook, too. All right. Once again, thanks to Mike for joining us and uh, doing all that. And thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to the bum ba dee da 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 bum